Welcome to another podcast from the Open Data Institute. I am Jared Keller, a senior researcher at the ODI, and today we're exploring how to empower people to take a more active role in stewarding data. Specifically, we'll be discussing two questions. First, why is it important for organizations to empower people to play a more active role in deciding what happens to data about them? What's not working about the current setup? And second, how can we empower people? What are some of the main approaches that people are pursuing? I've got three guests joining me remotely. Julian Tate from Open Data Manchester, Anup Ruhak, who's a fellow in residence at the Mozilla Foundation, and Emmett Townsend, VP of Engineering at Enrupt. Just to set the scene, I think there's one thing we can probably all agree on, and that is there's something not quite right about the way that data is currently collected and used, particularly data about us. The power dynamics seem to have shifted away from people and communities. Anouk, would you agree with that? What are some of the challenges that uh, you're trying to address at the Data Futures Lab? I work with the Mozilla Data Futures Lab as a fellow, and this is exactly what the Data Futures Lab focuses on, is this power imbalance between the corporations and organizations collecting and using data about us um, versus the communities and people that the data is about. And really trying to answer that question of how can we give those people in those communities, how can they stand up for themselves? How can they decide for themselves? Not just how to use the data that's already being collected, but also really what kinds of data do we even want to have collected or collect about ourselves? And what purposes do we think are useful for us in our lives rather than are useful for a company to target us or sell us uh, products? Julian or Emmett, anything to add there? I think it's ever since kind of people started to kind of get concerned about data uh, with regards to the Edward Snowden revelations back in around about 2012. And before that, data was so abstract that people just didn't understand it or, or, or care about it, really. And I think what we're seeing, especially, and I think the COVID crisis has actually done something here because we're talking to people. People are becoming very data aware. The, the level of data literacy is starting to go right up because data is is the story, basically, and people are starting to become more and more concerned. So, I, I think the uh, the time is right to start looking at these 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 ways of empowering people to have more control over their data. Emmett Townsend from Interrupt, what do you think? Data has been used in ways that we both don't know and don't necessarily agree with for a long, 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 long time. But we're at a point now where huge amounts of data are being used by a very small few, right? So you've got that power imbalance. Most people can't describe what that is or what that means. But at the same time, most people are really uncomfortable about it. So I think the time is, is right, mostly because we've gotten to a point where people care a lot, even though they can't really describe why they care. They're just in some way frightened by it. Like small numbers of people know everything about me. You'll get average individuals on the street saying, you know, I was going to do such and such a thing. And guess what? It just came up on my phone. How did they know that? Right. So people are paranoid. We have some technologies coming along that can help with this. We have regulators looking at it globally and we have people worried about it. So I think there's never really been a time that's more ripe to deal with this, even though it's been a problem for decades. 
Yeah, it's a really good transition, actually, to, to my next question, which is, okay, so we, we feel like something is ripe for changing, and there are different approaches to doing that. There is the regulatory approach, so there's the GDPR um, in Europe. There are more technological approaches. Um, you know, Apple has its new ability to, within your device, decide whether organizations can track you uh, and, and your use of their services. Then there are what we've started looking at at the ODI, which is there are decision-making structures ways of making decisions within organizations where you try to empower people or communities to take an active role within that decision-making process. And we started digging into real-world institutions, data institutions, organizations that are doing this, and what we think we've started to identify is there are some decision-making structures that try to empower people at an individual level. So as a person, as an individual, I get to say yes or no to whether this organization is allowed access to data about me. Then there are more collective approaches, a broad spectrum within the term collective, but essentially you're saying you're going to make decisions as a group uh, about whether you get access to data or about what this organization does, how it goes forward, how it invests its income. Then there are more delegated versions of that where you as an individual or as a group could delegate your decision-making authority to some other body, whether that be uh, an individual or a, a panel or a, a board of trustees, um, something like that. So... What we're saying is not that each individual organization is exactly one or the other. We're saying it's a mix, it's a melange, it's depending on different uh, decisions and what your goals are and who's involved in the organization, you might decide to take decisions collectively, but then for other decisions, you might decide to take it individually. And what I'd like to chat with all of you about today is, okay, if, if, if that's the case, we can kind of agree on that and feel free to, to challenge me on that. But if that's the case, when are things like individual decision-making structures useful? When are they not? What are the benefits and limitations of that? What are the benefits and limitations of collective decision-making? Uh, and then what are the benefits and limitations of delegated decision-making? So that's kind of the broad contours. I'll, I'll lean back and let the, the three titans duke it out. Emmett, you, is it fair to say that Inrupt and Solid are, are possibly the more individual approach to decision-making? I would say that's only one perspective. So solid you know, basically is a set of standards that separates applications from data and gives people control over the data, portability, interoperability, etc. So we can talk about that as and when during this discussion. But I don't believe that individual decision making on its own is the answer to everything, nor do I believe delegated or collective on their own are uh, I think the world has never been that black and white or simple and never will be. If I look at what Inrupt do, we provide the technology to underpin the management of data that supports all three. So, you know, the one that is most usually talked about is the individual decision making because the individual controls the data in their personal online data store, their pod. They decide who else can access it, who can write, who can read. They have the ability to give consent. They can, the consent has to have uh, be specific, meaningful, and with purpose, so that complies with GDPR. But they can also delegate that power to one or more individuals. They can delegate it to organizations. And you can model pods such that others can make decisions on your behalf, which would actually allow you to model the collective decision-making. 
Anyone have a confirm or deny argument for that? No, I think it's a very sensible approach. It's <laughs> like we need all these things together. Um, but I tend to take a step back and look at the underlying view of uh, people. And like, how do we see people? Do we see them as isolated individuals who can make up their own minds and decide for themselves without that decision necessarily impacting others? Or do we see them as part of their communities, as really nested in their families, communities, uh, larger populations? And I tend to go with the, with the second view. And so in that second view, you still have room for more individual decisions. Um, you have room for collective decisions and there's room for delegation. But you start to see the problem a little different, which is not just a problem of how can I control data strictly about me, but once I you see me as someone who's nested, you start to see that that data is also about other people. It describes relationships. And we also often, I always give the example of health insurance payments uh, where a whole bunch of people may decide to give some data about how many steps they've taken today or how often they go to the gym with their health insurance companies in exchange for a reduction of their premium or for like free movie tickets or whatnot. And for them individually, that makes a lot of sense, but they're not just individuals, they're part of like larger communities. And by virtue of doing this, there's the other group of people who may not decide to do this, um, either because they just don't want to, but also because maybe they don't take that many steps a day or they don't go to the gym or they're, and they may have good reason not to. But from them not sharing that data, the insurance company may now be like, oh, wait a minute, maybe the people who've not chosen to share data with us, we can infer that they're less healthy. And so you start to see how one person's decision very much impacts another one's. And that doesn't mean we should therefore ever take all the decisions collectively, but we should start yeah, looking at these things as not just atomic, but really as part of a nested entity. Yeah, I mean, just basically agreeing with with a lot of things that Emmett and Anouk have both said. I think that the when we started off looking at data cooperatives as a, as a method of data custodianship, um, I suppose it started in 2012 actually when we started the journey, um, we were very concerned about the hyper-personalization hyper of service and the atomization of, of the collective and how everybody is treated as an individual, that they can have what they want, where they want and how they want it. And actually, from the outside, it, that looks like it's very empowering. But actually, when you start to analyse it, what happens when, when the collective is atomised, the people lose, the representational power is diminished. And I think what we were kind of very interested in was how collective data organisations could represent those people who were disempowered. Um, I, ha I had a conversation with... Um, with somebody who Anouk and myself both know, Asta Kapoor, and we were talking about about cooperatives in, in, in India, they're not data cooperatives, but cooperatives, and I was saying how data was being used to, to atomise that, was starting to be used to atomise quite rural collectives and cooperatives because people were being treated as individuals and this was kind of making people kind of barter against each other. And I think this was kind of so you can see that there is a need for that, that that kind of collective action, but also I understand exactly what what Emmett says. In the, in the not everything can be treated collectively. There has to be that kind of blend, but there is that kind of power imbalance, I think. And I think these these approaches can only really work when you kind of start to tackle those kind of asymmetrics 
um, the, with data. So do you think it's possible or that we even should look at trying to model different ways that we can look at data along the lines you've just spoken about? Almost predetermine where it's good to do something and where it's not. Or would it be better to provide a combination of both regulation, legal and technical mechanisms to allow for all of the above? And then, you know, back to life being very complex and gray, let different business models and individual and group needs drive the result, drive what becomes collective, what becomes individual. And that's likely to change over time in ways that are so complex, I don't know that we can even begin to understand them. But I think if we provide the facilities to enable all all of the above, we kind of almost have to trust that the ecosystem will evolve in a way that makes sense to people. And when it's not making sense, if all of the options are available, it's likely to change, it'll evolve. I think ideally, but I I think what we've seen with data and also technology, it tends to empower the already empowered. And and I think the the idea of, of, of collectives is that kind of the benefits are more distributed. I think thought would have to be given to how that that technology is designed to distribute those benefits. I'm not saying that it can't be done, but I but I think from what we've seen already, it is enables people who already are literate, who already understand how these things work. But is that driven by the fact that a very small few currently really control all the data? If if you had true interoperability and portability where people and groups can vote with their feet. They are they are not locked in in any way, no matter what some service provides. Does that take away some of that effect? Maybe I'll speak to this one. We tend to argue a lot about all the different methods and ways going forward. And I think we just need a whole bunch of them together. Like for one, regulation can help us create more data cooperatives, for instance, because in order to be able to do that, you do need access to the data. You need to have the right to uh, decide for yourself, either individually or as a group. So there needs to be regulations underpinning uh, what we are allowed to do or what we're able to do, both as individuals and as communities. On the interoperability point, this is often sort of proposed, and I'm not saying you're doing that, but it's often proposed as sort of this standalone solution that if we can just take our data everywhere, everything will be fine. And to that, I always say, well, we have email, which is interoperable, which we can we can change providers. Um, and yet most of us are stuck in Gmail or Microsoft Teams. And why is that? And I think in part that is because there's a lot of friction. And I'm not saying, and therefore we shouldn't have interoperability. We absolutely should. But that on its own is not enough. Because if it's up to every individual to then make the decision to go through the process of deciding where to put the data, uh, where to take it to, that may actually not work. I agree with you. It's absolutely not one thing. There is no silver bullet. And all of the things that we've thought about, so so regulation mostly I think is important so that there's actually consequences, right? It, it's, it's, it's easy, well, it has not been to date, but say we have 
technology to enable all sorts of stuff. That doesn't prevent bad actors in an ecosystem. That's where regulation comes in because you can't technically stop people from doing things they shouldn't. You can technically provide the proof of what has happened to enable regulators to have some teeth. But to your point, it's a little bit of everything. And all the things that we talk about today, they're not even enough. There are going to be more things we have not thought about yet. And as an ecosystem evolves, so will the needs. And so I think any organization, institution or individual that kind of proclaims to have the answer, like the answer, this is the thing. I probably shouldn't use profane language on a podcast, but you get the idea. I I wouldn't necessarily think that they're correct. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I fully agree. And I think, yeah, all this, like, one solution. Like, these are wicked problems. Wicked problems don't have one simple solution. And uh, famously, whenever you try to create that one simple app or that one simple solution, it will become part of the problem. And I think just remembering that is always very important. That being said, there are some, quote-unquote, solutions or combinations of approaches that create more affordances and others that create less. And like we come at these problems with existing ideas about how human, what humans are and how they behave. And so we build for those ideas. And that's what I was getting at a little before is like, if we see individuals as atomized, that creates a very different set of affordances and the set of systems than when we see individuals as nested in their communities. But I, I want to hear more from Julian and Jared. Well, I was going to yeah, pose a question, which I think is about that human angle, that, uh, that human nature, societal angle, uh, possibly going back to what you were saying about email, that there is a lot of friction. There's inertia, even though we do sometimes have options. And one of the things I've been thinking about with collective decision making or cooperatives, as we've been talking about them, data cooperatives, it seems like it is still a hard pitch to people who are taking part in those cooperatives to put forward the time and effort it takes to take decisions collectively. Uh, I've, I've seen a few examples of that, and I don't know if anybody on the call has, has seen that, that yes, you are empowered now to make decisions collectively as part of your group or your community. Is that possible? Has there been buy-in? Is there, is there some friction there as well? I mean, I think that there's two things here. I mean, there's the ability to make decisions collectively and also the, abil the ability to collectively gather data and then use that individually. So what we're seeing with data cooperatives, there's those two approaches. So driver seat co-op in, in, uh, in the States allows Uber and uh, Lyft drivers to share data, but they, they then decide how that data is. They, just, they decide the terms basically, but, they, but everybody collectively benefits. Whereas um, a cooperative that could actually allow individuals the, the collective the collective to make the decision on how how that data is shared is is, is a different is is a, is a slightly different model and i think what we were looking at with uh, the uh, development of the small energy cooperative was looking at those different types of systems it's kind of you either had a way that everybody's deciding and delegating in a way that the day the cooperative the the, mechanism, the governance mechanism governance mechanisms of the cooperative would decide when data would be shared, or you kind of allow people to, to uh, decide share on an individual basis. Individual basis of sharing is the burden of that is is quite huge, and actually through 
working with the cooperative, we, that, that the whole thing would grind to a halt very, very quickly because people don't have that. Some people do, but a lot of people just don't have that capacity cognitively um, or, or otherwise to, to actually kind of make, make those decisions. So, so I think there is slightly different flavours. One of the things we're looking at at the moment is looking at urban data cooperatives around so within Manchester we've been talking about bringing property developers, communities, local authorities and various other public sector and infrastructure companies to get, uh, together to actually collectively pool data. Huge power asymmetries within that and so what would have to be designed within that is how do you make everything equitable so there's not one, one organisation or one stakeholder having an advantage over the others. But you can blend these kind of decision-making things. It's just a little bit complicated, as you all know. <laughs> Lots of people have been talking about stuff like this for quite a while. There hasn't really been a way that's gotten traction to implement these ideas, right? People have tried, but nothing has really gotten traction. So I think what we're trying to focus mostly on is providing a way that all of these things can actually take place in the market now. And we'll only really know when they're actually working. And we're going to find flaws in them and have to change them, et cetera, et cetera. But, but it gets to a point where you have to do them before you know how, how much they work or don't work. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and I think that has to be the time for talk is over and, and we just have to get out there and do these things because this, these, these things have been talked about for quite a long time. And as we as we all agree, the time is time is now to do these things. For some reason, there's a re more, there's better awareness of data, and also we can see the pressing need because obviously huge amounts of data, but uh, from individuals is being collected and extracted. So, so I do think it's kind of we have to test, we have to just see what works, bring people together who are working on things, so they can kind of share best practice, just to because some of these are very gnarly and thorny problems. I think we often also just don't see all the alternative data governance models that are actually springing up and that are happening. We've seen a lot around the production of data. So um, OpenStreetMap is a really good example where people come together uh, to collectively produce data. Um, we're seeing increasingly data cooperatives and uh, other data stewardship models around more to do with like who has access to the data and how can data be used. Uh, communities collecting data about themselves for themselves so there's not even like we often talk about these things in a very defensive way of like we have to defend ourselves against the corporate corporations collecting data about us but I think there's another case of where there's really no external actor involved and it's really just communities uh, doing things for their own purposes these things are happening but they often don't fit the model we have of the world they often uh, require us to think a little bit differently um, and so we don't always see what is actually happening in front of our eyes and the people who are doing the thing these things may not identify themselves as like being part of like a data stewardship uh, initiative or a data commons or a data cooperative because why would you right like we are the ones creating all sorts of definitions but yeah it's it's definitely things are happening and um, so I don't think it's just about waiting to implement. I think it's also starting to see what's going on. Yeah, I think that probably leads to my closing question. Um, because I think, yes, as much as we don't want to be in the business of creating terms and then pushing those terms as hard as possible, it is useful to see what's being done by people on the ground, 
but then be able to replicate it in some way and to be able to replicate it in a different sector and in a different industry, you need to understand it. You need to understand how it came into being and how they structure things. So there is like, there is an element of needing to get nitty gritty, you know, do a deep dive on these institutions, organizations that are being built by people. And so I think we're all agreed. It seems like that it's going to take a multiplicity of approaches to enact change, to rebalance power dynamics, to empower people as we go forward. But if I could have a minute from each of you, you're looking 5, 10, 20 years in the future, uh, and we have rebalanced power dynamics, we have empowered people to make decisions about access to data about them. How do you think we got there? What's the kind of one concrete step you'd like to see us, and by us I mean people interested in this space, uh, communities trying to steward data about them, uh, regulators, government organizations, anybody. What's one concrete step you'd like to see us take in order to get to that future 5, 10, 20 years down the road? I'll start with Anouk. Honestly, I think it's more likely that we run out of uh, the energy to fuel all this data collection and the AI systems built on top of it um, than that we're going to see like one other big thing that has an impact. Like That feels like the thing that's going to probably have the largest impact on what we're going to be doing with data. Other than that, I don't know. Like I think like because it's so many different things that work together because it's such a complex system, I don't want to say like, well, it's going to be this set of regulations that will then allow. Uh, but of course, it is going to be regulations in part. It is going to be having the rights. Like the way in, the, in Europe, we now have the right over our personal data. There is something similar needed about around data that isn't about, that doesn't uh, describe an individual um, and I'm talking about agricultural data or um, data that describes production processes, like all of that data is also used um, in ways to kind of consolidate existing empower balances. So we need to do something with that as well. Uh, with I think it could make a huge difference. I think understanding how we're approaching AI would make a huge difference. But underneath it all, I think we're seeing is humans, especially in the Western world, who have seen, um, have approached our economic models as like separated individuals making decisions that work best for them, like the homo economicus. I think that's changing. I think that model of the world is changing. And I feel like that's going to make the largest impact on how we're going to deal with data in the future, but also deal with a whole bunch of other like economic models. So it's a bit of a hope and a prediction. It's more hope than a prediction. Yeah, that's really interesting. I want to do a podcast on that in five years and we'll We'll revisit the issue. Uh, how about Julian? Yeah, um, just following on from what Anouk said, actually, I, I think that the, the, probably the most enabling thing would be a unified, uh, unified regulation, global regulation. That's not going to happen. But I think at the moment we see people kind of hiding data all over the place, like they hide assets, I suppose. And um, until you've got that kind of the similar data rights globally, um, I, I don't think these things will will come to pass as as, as they should. Also, I mean, in a, contra in a kind of contrarian view, I think we shouldn't lose what's human. And actually, friction. We we, we take and we, we there is a certain kind of we take stock of actually what are, what are we gaining and what are we losing. And there is there's a more of a rounded appreciation. I don't think we're quite there of what data can and can't and shouldn't do. I do think we'll we'll kind of get there. It's just, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic as well than the movie. <laughs> Emmett, bring us home. What do you think? 
So I'm probably a bit more optimistic, maybe than both Julian and Anouk. Um, and maybe it's it's because it's our whole mission within Interrupt anyway. So I agree. Yeah, you, you won't get unified regulation, but regulation is very important. But regulation without teeth, we've, you know, how impactful has it been? You could have a podcast just on that, but I don't think very. Um, and I think given the complexity of all the things we've talked about, we need something that enables everybody to contribute to this. And back in 1989, we had the, you know, the web came to life and it spent 30 years getting to where it is now. And it's become intertwined in everything in life and it'll only become more and more so. So for me, if you just said one thing, well, I'm betting that it's it's um, in another standard to work with the web to enable everything we've said. And that on its own will do nothing. But if I look at solid, it enables, you know, teeth for regulations. It enables all the different models we've talked about. So if there's only one thing, if you could get ubiquity of that standard along with the ubiquity of HTTP and the web standards, what we've now got is a landscape where all the things we've talked about can be attempted by people. If we don't have that ubiquity, we've got that fragmented world and we've got that asymmetry and we, we it's hard to have a place to start. So for me, the one thing is making that standard ubiquitous so it changes the rules of the game. Well, thank you all so much. That was, that was really, really interesting. Just to wrap up, I'd like to thank Julian Tate from Open Data Manchester, Anouk Ruhak, a fellow in residence at the Mozilla Foundation, and Emmett Townsend, VP of Engineering at Inrupt. I will send you all a calendar invite for five years from now, we can come back and discuss and see who was right. 